welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Somaru. Hey everybody, this week I am joined by Matt Edgar, and he is from NHS Digital. So as the national partner to the health and social care system, NHS Digital is all about improving lives through data and technology, and Matt's role there is Associate Director of Design and User Research. So he works with more than 100 user-centered design specialists who uncover user needs to fully understand complex problems and craft products and services that deliver better outcomes. And so I imagine Matt is going to tell us how he does all of that today. So Matt, welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm very good today. Thank you. How are you, James? I'm very well, very well. Grey and overcast as usual. Like, I'm sick of winter now, mate. I just want it to be all all over. I want to get to the summer, but I'd like a bit more freedom, I suppose, when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to summer. So we'll uh, we'll see what the announcement is okay. on the 22nd. But without diving into that too much, um, cool. Whereabouts are you speaking to us from today, Matt? Um, yeah, so I I'm in the corner of my house in North Leeds, which has been work <laughs> for me for the last almost a year now. Um, I've kind of got post-it notes on the wall and some I can see them user centered design things, yeah. posters so, yeah so just to remind me where I am <laughs> I step into this corner of the house every morning um and sort of are we are we moving things in the right direction meeting our objectives um got some stuff on the wall actually one of our graduate trainees put together some lovely posters for about digital accessibility which were okay. going to be displayed in the offices and then uh, we weren't in the offices so I've got them on the wall <laughs> Um, looking yeah, good it's looking it's, good uh, working from home <laughs> nice so I'm interested about how does somebody get to where you are NHS digital user-centered design helping technology companies with user-centered design making impact on the tech center through healthcare talk me through a bit of your career um yeah so I started way back I started as a newspaper journalist um back in the 1990s and then I kind of sensed that you know, this internet thing was where the action was. And I, and I moved <laughs> Good call. Um, to Leeds to join a, a, a internet news organization. At the time, my editor said to me, the, the editor at the Lancashire Evening Post said, you know, if this internet thing doesn't work out, you can always come back. And, <laughs> and, and, um, and it, you know, 20 years later, it seems to be working okay. So, um, <laughs> But it needs a bit of a refresh, a bit more, yeah, bit more personal yeah. control of data. But beyond that, you know, yeah, it's it's, it's working out okay. So um, the company that I worked for was then bought by the mobile operator Orange, and so I found myself sort of early two thousands at the this sort of massive upswing of mobile communications. People getting their first pay as you go smart pay as you go phones, and then sort of smartphones, mobile apps. Um, Orange, you know, like all big telecoms operators, had a string of um, high street shops and contact centers and so I started to become really interested in what are the service design techniques that you can sort of work across multiple channels so we're trying to do stuff mm. on smartphones we're trying to do stuff on um, you know through the contact centers through our stores um, and so I sort of gravitated towards this emerging movement of, of service design which is to say you know, we all know what, what it means to sort of, you know, you can imagine what it means to design a car or a coffee cup or, a, you know, something tangible. But actually, those intangible things that account for 70, 80% of the economy 
often go undesigned. So, so we set up things like what? So, so things like well, so um, everything from you know how <laughs> your um, how a restaurant works, how yeah. you know taxi companies, holiday accommodation, and of yeah. course you know the big things that government and public sector provide, like you know benefits and taxes and health services. Um, all of those things sometimes tend to sort of emerge by accident by lots of little decisions that get made by someone um, but not necessarily intentionally designed and mm. so the service design movement back then we 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 set up a little networking group in Leeds and we're attracting yeah people from the local authority people from the NHS people who just sort of found themselves responsible for services and thought there must be a better way of um of of making this work um along with people who were you know building out you know amazing digital tools and and so 2012 i left orange um and started to work as a consultant i found myself working with the government digital service who was sort of going around I, I was training civil servants in how to create digital user-centered products and services for citizens and then um for a long time i probably thought that health was kind of it was seemed like a sort of an all or nothing thing really you either had to be all in on it or you know, it wasn't something that one could sort of dabble with a bit like you would with some other. Um, Is that because industries. of its complexity? It's the complexity. Yeah. Um, I suppose sector-specific knowledge perhaps as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, I'm not a clinician and I think, you know, that's one of the things is you have to have some respect for the fact that there are people who, you know, will spend their entire career in health or social care, um, build up real deep knowledge of how they do their jobs. And, you know, that's true in many sectors it's probably true in financial services or sure whatever, but it but it's especially true in health um but also to say that actually some of the challenges they're big and they're complex but they are you know they're, they're fundamentally the same sort of problems that every big organization struggles with fair enough yeah um so um yeah it was looking to say well if i were to move if i were to move into working in health how would I be able to make a difference? How would people from a user-centered design background be able to make a difference? Um, and, and I saw, you know, there's a big movement around quality improvement, around sort of using lean techniques in health. There's a big movement around patient and public involvement. And actually user-centered design seems quite complementary to those. So um, when the job at NHS Digital came up um, to be head of design for nhs digital initially uh, it seemed like a really good opportunity it sort of brought together the stuff that i'd learned about digital the stuff that i was really interested in in terms of big service organizations and the opportunity to do something with the nhs um, which is then coming up for its 70th year um, what does the job description look like for a for a head of design for nhs digital so it's um, I mean, I, most of our designers, user researchers, content designers are embedded in individual teams. Um, so, you know, we have people who work on the NHS app. We have people who work on the NHS website, okay. got, um, the e-referral service. And a lot of the time, you know, we try to put our designers into multidisciplinary teams with clinicians and so on. Their leadership roles are kind of... I, I've had the amazing privilege of being able to poke my nose into all of those different services <laughs> from time to time nice. and to try and draw links between them. So right. um, that's the bit that I think probably wasn't, you know, was it, my role was a new role when I took it on in 2017. And then I kind of um, 
started off with a focus initially on the citizen facing services but then kind of pestered my way into getting uh, the ability to sort of roam across uh, some of the services for staff and clinicians as well because sure. i felt that until we address some of those services and made the staff experience better we weren't going to be able to massively impact the patient experience either so it's kind of as uh, i've now got a head of design and a head of user research and we work across our product development directorate which um which encompasses services for staff and for patient uh, for staff and patients it's really cool um, it's, a, it's a really good point actually it about together. it's a really good point actually about staff I think, and about mm. improving the experience for staff. I see this play out quite a lot in health tech and I have done for a few years about my angle is obviously through the startups and through the people trying to find business models for something in health care or health tech. It's always seemed very difficult to improve the lives of staff, to improve the shift of a nurse, to improve something for a doctor or an occupational therapist or a physiotherapist wrapping a robust business model around it. It's always seemed very difficult to address the challenge yeah. of, of, of the staff happiness, because if you make things more efficient, the way that capitalism works, you have to get rid of them in order to recoup that money into a cash and hand saving. So if you make things more efficient, great. Everyone's happier. They do less work, but I'm just going to have to get rid of people in order for me to recoup yeah, that money for business model. But yeah. it seems that design seems like a way of actually, I suppose you guys do it coming at it from your side might be, uh, might be a way of actually getting it done. Yeah. And, and, and look, I mean, everyone knows that um, technology across the NHS hasn't been brilliant and that, you know, and at the same time that we, um, we don't have enough, um, staff across the system to meet all of the needs that present themselves even you know, even you know before the pandemic and so if we can give time back to staff and you know do that in many different ways by you know simply you know not wasting their time making them use unintuitive mm. systems not having to spend a day learning how to do something with a new computer system because yeah. it wasn't designed intuitively um you know, making sure that data is there and present for them when they need it, um, when they're there with the patient, instead of having to spend time chasing up test results and things like that. You know, every minute that you give back to staff is a minute they can spend with patients. Yeah, so, um, it's not. Um, it's it's you know efficiency in the health service isn't just about saving money. It's about freeing up time and and contributing to better care absolutely and i think if it if it comes via centrally funded mechanisms then certainly all the better i'm interested in how how do you explain what nhs digital does as an entire um, organization so we work across you know we touch almost every bit of the health and social care system um we talk about ourselves as the, you know the 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 data and technology partner to the health and care system. So we, you know, we're a, a national arm's length body. We primarily work with um, the NHS and social care in England because in um, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, those services have devolved. Um, but you know, it, it starts with aligning our interests with those of everyone else in the health service. We believe in improving lives. We're here to 
contribute to better health outcomes, more efficient running of services. We see those services are primarily commissioned and delivered locally. So a lot of tech, you know, a lot of spend on technology isn't driven by people in the national center. It's decisions that are made by yeah. CIOs and um, digital teams in yeah. CCGs, in integrated care systems, in trusts. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we're there, sometimes we're there to provide some expertise, sometimes we're providing service. We're also providing some core national systems and, and services. So the national NHS app um, is, you know, there's one NHS app that you can go to and download from the app store, but actually that's not going to meet every single need for every different medical speciality mm -hmm. or um, every locality. So, um, you know, how do we plug in all of the, diverse innovation that comes from the wider system into those core national platforms um you know how do we have a a a summary care record that provides a sort of basic level of information that is needed to provide you know the best safe care to every patient whenever they show up at any setting but at the same time recognizing that you know if you're a hospital deploying a um, you know whole electronic patient record system or an appointment booking service then you know you know your specific needs best. We're not going to design all sure. of those things from the centre, but you are there on hand for support as and when they do need it. Yeah, and it, and you know commission. So, so, so and then you know there are other elements that I'm I'm a bit less involved in as, um, in terms of design and user research. But but you know for example we run the cyber security centre. You know helping okay. to keep the NHS safe from ah. cyber threats and. You know, it's something that's wow. has a deep specialism. The nature of threats is evolving all the time. So it makes sense to have a, a national centre looking out and helping um, thousands of different NHS organisations stay safe and sort of develop their own cyber Got capabilities. Got so, it. So there are a few key areas where we can really intervene and help from a national perspective. Got it. So you're offering that kind of support and guidance national or guidance nationally, as well as obviously we leaving the, the actual local decisions to those local decision makers, but by offering the support, the information and guidelines, et cetera, it's obviously then supporting the system as a whole. Yeah. And, yeah, and, you know, obviously listening to what the system needs as well. So that, mm. that is evolving over time. Yeah. So, you know, if you think about at the start of the pandemic, suddenly yeah. everyone needed video you know remote consultations whole new set of tech was required um so well, let's talk let's talk about that then that so yeah so let's talk about that then so the pandemic comes along certain requirements are changing telemedicine seems to be really in demand what do you guys then do? I suppose from from both an edge digital in general, but then I suppose mm. specifically user centered design really comes into yeah. play here in terms of things that you had to sort of stand up and 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 start doing. Yeah. So we had, I mean, I think over a number of years we've been building up some of these elements of the sort of national platforms. So we had the NHS app. We've been working on the transformation of the NHS national website. Um, the um, sharing of data, um, you know, to some extent supporting the sort of modernization of NHS IT estate. So when you suddenly get to this point in March where, um, you know, remote and telemedicine and so on is no longer, no longer an option, it's going to suddenly become the default way of doing things for um, fast ways of service. Um, some of it was about, you know, the, the 
those basic IT enablers, you know, making it possible for everyone who had NHS mail accounts to use Microsoft Teams, for example, was, you know, something that NHS Digital and partners in the National Arms Link bodies were able to do really, really quickly yeah. because of the investment in time and effort. Um, we were able to take some things like the 111 online service, which has, you know, been developing and sort of re only recently gone live as a service um, across the whole of England. And suddenly we were saying to people, go to 111 first, go online. We, um, you know, massively increasing the pace of deployment of new information into 111 online so that, you know, as the new guidance on this emerging virus called COVID-19 that no one had heard of a few weeks earlier was changing day by day. You know, 111 online was having to start qu asking questions like, have you been to Northern Italy recently? If you remember, you know, it's like, of course, yeah. it was like in the very early stages. And then that yeah. became the thing of like, okay, have you got a new continuous cough? Have you got a high temperature? Yeah. How do we make sure that people get to the right settings as services are suddenly reconfiguring themselves to have kind of COVID sites and non-COVID sites, for example. So, so all the investment in sort of having those pathways, the directory of services, um, and making them really flexible came into play. Mm. There were things like the, the, in the NHS app, um, you know, we'd recently completed the rollout of electronic prescriptions. So, people shouldn't need to be walking to a GP practice, picking up a piece of paper and walking it to a pharmacist. Yeah. So, you, know, you can send that straight to the pharmacist for everyone in England. But that relied on people having nominated a pharmacy to receive their prescriptions. And so the NHS app team reprioritized their backlog to make nominating a pharmacy a feature that they delivered much more quickly than they'd originally right. planned to do. Just because, you know, that suddenly you've freed up you know, prevented hundreds of thousands of unnecessary trips to GP practices and people taking bits of paper to pharmacists by enabling that one piece of functionality in the NHS app. Um, and then, of course, you know, the support for video consultation, integrating with some of the, the providers that were providing video consultation. Um, but I, our, one of our product managers said you know throughout that we stuck to our user-centered design guns you know we kind of even as we were building things like the new test booking services for covid testing or yeah coronavirus vaccination service everything we do we have put in front of users and got feedback and iterated and made sure that people can use it first time nice because actually that becomes more important not less when you well precisely you know the paradox being you need to get it out quickly but actually if it's going to stick if it's going to be useful you've got to go through those processes and yeah and, and the, there was um let's say a, a huge amount of pragmatism was suddenly developed you know people were really really focused on is this going to solve my problem is yeah. this going to solve the patient's problem because if it's not you know we're too busy we don't have the time to invest time, money and time in something that's going to make something worse sure and with your position being so close to the users and your thought processes being that of the users. I've spoken to some behavioral scientists actually, actually about what's going to stick after the pandemic. Yeah. And they're very honest that they, they don't know. 
no. very easy position to default to, I suppose. But I'm interested in your view. Is there anything that you've seen behaviors, certain elements that have been designed, certain processes that are going on now? Is there anything that you think particularly is going to stick, is going to change? So, yeah, I mean, I think we've certainly seen the rapid switch to remote consultation, the ability to access clinical expertise from anywhere. Um, you know, and some patients who've been desperate for that for a very long time. You know, I, I remember way back, even before I joined NHS Digital, I did a little bit of work with an agency called M Habitat based in Leeds, who mm. um, around um, what patients needed and we talked to some mental health service users people with anxiety who were saying you know the internet is a is literally a lifesaver for them the ability to um you know access clinical support without leaving the home you know before covid was um something they were absolutely clamoring for so the fact that services suddenly had to you know were forced to to catch up and enable that mode i don't think that's going to go away um it's also going to enable all sorts of service transformation because it means that, you know, instead of someone booking a face-to-face -face appointment with a specialist consultant in several months time in order to get some face time with that consultant, you know, it, it could be that their, their, um, their GP or, you know, pharmacist could access that little bit of advice and guidance really, really quickly and yes. solve the problem. So, so I don't think people will want to go back from that, even if yes. you could return to far more face-to-face -face contact. It's and ju just, just to jump in there a sec. Face to face. So centrally, obviously, you, you talked about that level of pragmatism mm. that has then come in. Yeah, is, is it going to help? If not, don't do it. Let's just do mm. things that are. Do you think any of those thought processes and systems that have been set up in order to get things through quickly will stick? Do you think that that has changed any sort of method of thinking or I suppose the way people work. I think it's, it's changed in the sense that we now have examples we can point at and, you know, you'll okay. always be able to say, you know, remember in the pandemic, we were able to turn that thing on in two weeks. Yes. So, so it's the a nice benchmark isn't it, for those set, people that are more entrepreneurial. On, on the other hand, um, in fairness, the rapid adoption of technology isn't the same as genuine deep service transformation. So right. we need to be careful not to get ahead of ourselves and say, um, because we were able to deploy that new tech in two weeks, actually deploying every piece of new tech should now only take two weeks. Because actually, if you really want to impact transformation of the service, you need to spend the time to understand what users need to sure. you know, adapt it and, and learn. It's a good point, actually, because I suppose, yeah, the behavior it's it's a it's a it's a double-edged sword that because whilst yes you can point to the fact that the tech got turned around and deployed in two weeks there's obviously a lot going on on the other side to allow for that as yes. well so whilst yeah i take your point that whilst being able to point to yeah but we got it out in two weeks actually that's probably not the best thing to do going forward. You probably wouldn't be able to going what, forward yeah. because people wouldn't be as open to it. What's our, users, what's our users' capacity to absorb change? Right. You know, how Interesting quickly we question. Talk about, you know, you want to, 
we talk in, in the the agile manifesto talks about you know the team should work at a sustainable pace and that's a sustainable pace for not just for the team that's doing the work it's a sustainable pace for their users absorbing yes change. so 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 we um that is a really good question actually. to go back to just just thinking about this, the, the 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 entrepreneurs and the startups listening the people that are thinking about ideas for a way to transform a department a hospital a gp practice mm-hmm. a, a patient's journey through their chronic condition what, what what was the question what what is the the what is an acceptable rate of something being absorbed <laughs> that was really good whatever yeah, that was yeah the sustainable pace i think i mean partly it's the only way to do that is to is to go and spend time with your users whether mm. they are staff or patients mm. and to to listen to what they need um i think a little and often goes a long way so i think sometimes we have this this idea of technology transformation that it's a once and done thing that you sort of you specify the tech and if you're lucky users get involved in the requirements gathering exercise then the technologists go away and they do their clever stuff and then the you know the solution lands fully formed and then Mm. the developers clear off and move on to the next thing in reality the real work of design and user research and and iteration only starts when you've got something in the hands of users so um i'm really interested in how we can build capacity to absorb lots of little changes in response to user needs. So if if your, if your standard operating procedures for deploying new technology in a hospital require, you know, hours and hours of training for staff, we have to ask ourselves, well, is that true of every single change that we deploy? If we designed it in an intuitive way and, made little changes rapidly and you know provided tips directly in the user interface you could probably actually absorb change much more kind of frequently but little and often and then you only need to do the big training for sort of you know your new starters or for when um when something about the clinical practice significantly changes so rather you know how do we free up how do we free up training time for you know doctors and nurses to improve their clinical practice supported by tech rather yeah. than learning which buttons to press to do yeah, that really yeah, yeah. obvious that thing makes that a lot of sense. you mentioned something called the agile manifesto what's that mm, so i mean all of um, well many of our teams at nhs digital work in an agile user-centered way so agile um came out of the software development movement um it's about working in small batches really being focused on delivering value to your customers early and often um, it's about multidisciplinary teams so you know we don't have a big design studio where all our designers sit together our designers work sitting next to software developers working closely with clinicians because um, you know it's about putting all the people you need to develop your um, software together and allowing them to get the job done as a mm. multidisciplinary team. Um, there are actually some really interesting parallels of kind of agile software development in the way that multidisciplinary teams work in medical practice as well. And I think, you know, we kind of instinctively, I think some you know, people with clinical training could probably, you know, cause you've got that, that idea of the sort of the scientific method of looking for evidence of running experiments, seeing what works and what yes. doesn't work and building on that. Um, 
so so in a sense agile brings a bit of scientific method to the the practice of nice. designing and delivering services too um just writing that down because i definitely want to read this document because i think there's there's even when i think about the way that i'm building out what i'm doing at SOMEX with uh definitely a multidisciplinary team from designers ourselves to videographers to copywriters to pr mm. specialists to you know trying to solve a problem end-to-end of communication for people in the health tech community it mm. needs all of those different things and particularly a bit that chimed with me there as somebody growing a services business offering value well getting value to the customer early and often yes and i think even in my world which is not tech development software development even in my world of service that is something that i think you know traditional pr companies for example get wrong because they spend ages getting like asking the customer for stuff information meetings calls they so there's no immediate value there but then press releases every month, two months. It's just this kind of staccato value, which may or may not be there, but they're paying the whole time on a retainer. It, it just mm. feels really disconnected. And I think that's something that we've obviously focused on loads, which is that, and it's funny, the way that you phrase that, get value early and often, I've never heard it so succinctly, I suppose, but it really communicates what what feels right to me as somebody providing a service, which is which is why we do content, which is why we do, you know, yeah. podcasts and social media and design work in between, because then in between those PR staccato milestones, then they're getting value little and often through everything that we're doing to build audiences. So mm-hmm. that really, yeah, really good. chimes with me. Um, and I'm definitely going to, I'm going to read that. I'm going to present that to my team as something that we're going to be living by. <laughs> I think, um, cool. So I'm interested now in, in the NHS digital interplay with, tech startups are you interested in them do you look at what they're doing do you because i suppose in some way you have to prepare for the organizations to interact with them you might you must have to provide some sort of guidance for how they interact with them perhaps i've certainly seen things from nhsx that are similar yeah so nhsx is doing a lot of good work around you know um the assessment how do you how do you assess technology and say yes this is safe this is ready for um for use in the nhs and some of some of the work that you know, my teams have been involved in has been around some things that standards like digital accessibility. So sometimes it's about, it's sort of helping to enforce standards. You know, if it's the public sector buying a digital solution, then it needs to be accessible, not just because, um, you know, the NHS is for everyone mm. and actually because our patients, you know, are, um, you know, you go figure given the nature of our services, our patients, uh, you know, a large number of them may have some disability or illness that means they have access needs with digital mm. technology. Um, but also because it's the law, you know, and as a public sector organization, we're held to a higher standard of accessibility. So, yeah. you know, we've put some of that stuff out there, but I think it's not just about NHS digital setting standards or about NHSX enforcing standards. It's also about how we, if we're learning how to do this stuff from our experience in health and care, how do we share that so that other people can pick up on it? So we have the NHS digital service manual where we've got guidance from sort of the experience that we've learned from building NHS.UK and some of the other services. Um, we're sharing that and we share our code. So oh, wow. the, the front end code that makes the NHS website, it's called NHS.UK front end. It's open source code and 
other NHS organisations have been picking that up and using it. They don't have to ask for permission. It's just there to pick up and use. And even, you know, during the pandemic, there were some tech companies who were, you know, call, answered the call to arms. They rapidly helped some NHS trusts to stand up things like virtual visiting services where you, you know, you want to put an iPad into the patient's hand because their family and friends can no longer come and see them in person. Um, and they were able to rapidly deliver an NHS branded service using our open source code. Nice. Because it was something that we shared as we got cool. along. That's so cool. I think it's, it's, yeah, of course, there's you know there's standards, but I don't think in, in the future, perhaps a bit less of sort of publishing a big PDF with lots yeah. of shoulds and coulds, and more. Yeah, you know, here's the code. If you yeah. want to make this thing compliant, <laughs> well, people use the, the code. And nobody reads the PDF, so you're, you're onto a good it. thing. You have it. Do what you need to do with it. Nice. Um, and you guys have been working with Tech UK as well to be doing some more direct yeah. stuff. Is that right? Yeah. So um, it's it's. Um, a, we've had a couple of meetings now of a small industry working group, which NHS Digital, NHS X, and Tech UK have set up together, uh, where we're bringing together user-centered design specialists and practitioners from the tech sector, you know, the, the, the health tech sector, and some of the NHS organisations and. There's been a real meeting of minds because I, I think a lot, you know we're all there whether we work for um, whether we work in the tech sector on what the NHS tends to think of as the sort of supplier side or whether we're NHS insiders in national arms length bodies or in local trusts, you know, we all want to make things better for patients and user-centered designers all have that same sort of passion to put users first. So we've had some really interesting conversations about how you make a business case for um, including user research design and content design in your work. Um, we had We've talked a bit about, you know, what what standards might be helpful in terms of user-centered design in the future. And, um, yeah, very much want to do that as a partnership and to do it um, with the the people who really know this stuff. I think often in, in many organizations, the user-centered design people don't get let out to play very often. They're kind of, you know, it's, it tends to be the account managers and the business sure. development people who go out and do all the talking and then sure. the um, the designers get it secondhand. So so we wanted to create a forum where we bring together the practitioners and get them working together. And that's, that's been really, um, really... That sounds awesome. So it sounds like, you know, actual practical value, right? And, you know, meeting of minds that uh that certainly need to meet and can get a lot from meeting in order to actually just bring that like information back to the yeah, coal face right absolutely. i mean that's that's it's kind of a shorter feedback loop i suppose than some of the long pdfs that you that you talk about and things like that yeah and you know and I, th I think we'd like to work on those you know what the future of some of that stuff together with with the tech sector because yeah i think if we're going to create standards uh, or you know other other things of value they've got to be useful and they've got to be usable by mm. the people that are going to put them into practice nice matt it's been awesome having you on i've definitely learned a lot about what nhs digital practically does how you guys work with the nhs organizations the tech organizations i suppose my final question to leave our audience with an answer to would be what would be you using all your knowledge of and the experience of the user-centered design stuff that you've done in healthcare for those people listening that are trying to solve a problem in healthcare 
and that are looking to design something, be that a product or a service, generally speaking, what would your advice be? Um, yeah, so I'm I'm sort of soon to move into a slightly different role in different area in in the NHS. And I've got three questions at the moment that I'm asking all the time. The first question is, what is it like right now for staff and patients? So if you're trying to impact the user experience, it always starts with having a really solid understanding of what the current actual user experience is. Um, the, you know, the best way is to go out and do the research and spend time directly, not just listening, but also observing what's going on. Um, so, so it always starts with that. Do you have a really solid understanding of the current user experience, whether that is you know, that you're developing a product that is going to try and improve that experience or solve a problem that people have currently have go and see how people are experiencing that and solving that problem for themselves right now what workarounds are in place because those will be the things that become the seed of your your solution um so that's the first question the second one is always are we really clear on what outcomes we're trying to enable so the um, design thinker jared spool has this wonderfully economical definition of design where he says design is the rendering of intent and if you don't know what it is that you are trying to achieve what the intent is especially in a field that is complex as health then you know your design is is going to fail because you don't even know what it what success looks like so you know understand what are the outcomes that we're trying to drive are they better health outcomes are they efficiency outcomes are they um, you know better experience for staff or patients um and be really clear on that because if if you can't tell your designers what problem you're trying to solve they can't help you solve it and then you know the third thing for me is always about capability so do we if we know what problem we're trying to solve do we have the right skills in our multidisciplinary team to solve that problem and you know it was lovely to hear you talk about having you know copywriters and content people because often that's you know that's the often the leading edge skill is sort of just let's start talking about what we do more clearly let's write more clearly um let's put stuff in plain language so that patients and the public can get involved because now they understand what on earth we're talking about mm. um so there's you know bringing the right skills into the team recognizing that design is a job i think there's a tendency sometimes that when i when i've worked with really good designers they are uniquely good at understanding the problem and then coming up with lots of different ways to solve the problem where you don't have a designer on the team sometimes there's a tendency for them to kind of jump too quickly to the first thing that the ceo thought of and it's an interesting point and so the you know the skill that you're buying there if you can hire a user experience professional you want to challenge them to kind of come up with lots of different ways of doing things and then have a structured process for working out which of those works best in in collaboration with users so, you know, make design a job, put designers in your multidisciplinary teams alongside your clinicians, representatives of users, technologists, and then trust them to get the job done. Trust the process. Good things will happen. Amazing. And Matt, for people that want to learn more about the work that you're doing, perhaps they want to learn more about you or get in touch with you. What's the best way for people to reach you? Um, so uh, there's a, a page for my team on the NHS digital website. So at digital.nhs.uk, um, it's probably a good place to find out about our organisation and about what we're doing. Um, you could also look up the NHS digital service manual um, 
which uh, again, I think you probably find from the NHS digital website, but there's loads of advice for people, practical tips and tools for people who are making digital services and trying to get them into the NHS. Amazing. Matt, thank you for your time. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Hey everyone, thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.